Today is the 4th of October 2020 and we're going to have the ceremony for spreading the Katina cloth soon. So this is a tradition that the Buddha gave his permission uh, for the monks to uh, proceed with. If there are over five monks uh, living in one monastery during the rains retreat, and if they have a sense of harmony, of togetherness, and they have hold <coughs> equal views, and they live happily together. But if there's a cause for dispute to arise in the community and one of the monks uh, leaves uh, during the rains, and there's less than five, then by the vineyard, uh, the monastic rules, <laughs> monks aren't allowed to receive uh, katina cloth. And this is if we're practicing the vineyard strictly. There are some monasteries where there are less than five monks who spend the rains, but they invite other monks from different monasteries for the ceremony. Uh, but in the forest tradition, we don't practice like that. Uh, in the tradition of Mpucha and Puman, uh, it's more strictly practiced. And if there's uh, four monks or less than that, then they won't receive the katina. So sometimes there are just five monks who are spending the rains, but one of those becomes ill um, and has to spend a long time outside of the monastery. They take it that their rains uh, has been cut, and so they won't receive a katina at that monastery. They'll just receive a forest cloth offering. And so for this casino ceremony, it's uh, a process that involves the entire day. In the morning, there's the offering of the cloth, and then the ceremony that happens in the morning, and then we have the evening uh, spreading of that cloth. Which is, uh, this is what to say that they decide that one monk will receive uh, that katina cloth. But along with the cloth often comes many requisites, uh, many other kinds of cloth as well. And the monks who have been spending the rains at the monastery can request those. But there was one time where a monk had, was just newly ordained, um, but he asked for a stainless steel bowl that was quite rare at the time. But the abbot uh, didn't want to give it to this monk. He wanted to keep it aside. This monk, however, was going to go away after the rains, go traveling. So he did want this bowl, and it uh, turned into an issue, a dispute in the community. Because really, through the vineyard, the a uh, monk did have rights to that bowl. But if either of these were just able to put down their views, were able to accept the other's uh, point of view, then there wouldn't have been a dispute. So if the abbot had more kindness, then there wouldn't have been a problem. Or if the monk just accepted that the abbot didn't want to give it, and he could be happy just using his, 
content with little, then there wouldn't have been a problem. So there are uh, privileges that come with receiving the katina cloth, um, such as not needing to be with our triple robe set at dawn, so we can go off traveling and leave our sangati behind at the monastery, for instance. But in our tradition, uh, following what Lumpur Cha taught, uh, we don't receive uh, these privileges, but rather we practice as we had before. Another of these privileges is um, being able to ask for special uh, foods, such as meat or fish, and that's not an offense. So perhaps those cases where people needed, or monks needed to sew robes quickly, and uh, so they needed the food for that work. Um, but we don't uh, take these privileges. We follow the tradition of Wat Nombapong uh, in Puchar's monastery and just practice as we had before this. So Lumpur Cha himself led this way of practice, um, and so we follow the way that he had taught, training to be content with little. So we keep our, um, our intention, our sincerity with this practice. Wherever we travel, we take our triple robes with us. When we eat, we are restrained uh, within that act of eating. And if we don't fall sick, then there's no need to ask for special foods. So we have this contentment, contentment with the things that we have. And being content with little is the quality of a practitioner who is fighting with their kilesas. But all of these requisites, they come from the goodness, from the loving-kindness of the Buddha. Because if the Buddha didn't give his permission to have this katina ceremony, then we wouldn't gain all of these things. So the origin story of this ceremony is there were 30 monks who were practicing strictly together. And they had their old robes they were using, which were all cut and worn and torn, and they didn't want to change those robes. Instead, they put all their efforts into the practice, into um, developing their own hearts. And this is how the Katina ceremony came about, uh, through these monks taking up the ascetic practices. So when they were doing this, they had already attained to a stage of enlightenment. But after the rains, they listened to the teachings of the Buddha and uh, attained to the highest level of awakening, that of arahantship. Hearing the Dhamma of the Buddha. So these things all come from the goodness of the Buddha, from what he taught us from his Dhamma, and from those who have practiced that Dhamma until seeing it for themselves. This then has come down to us 
through Lumpur Man and all of the great teachers, including Lumpur Cha. So that we can all live together with harmony, um, being kind to one another. It's not an easy thing, because there are many, many of us who have come to live in one place. And this comes from the sacrifice that we all have, and from the faith of the laity as well. That they come and offer food, and that gives them a sense of joy and fullness in their hearts, that they really want to give. And while we are making merit, having that feeling of wanting to do it, wanting to give, is what produces the happiness in our hearts. That at that time, our minds are devoid of stinginess. So they give their food uh, to the monks. But not only that, they invite all the other lay people to eat that food as well. We can see this as uh, celestial food that they are giving because it comes from a heart full of faith and a heart that's at ease. It produces this happiness both for those who give and for those who receive. So I rejoice in the goodness of all of the lay people who have faith, who have come and sacrificed, who have been very generous, and also helping to clean up as well, helping to wash the dishes, uh, for instance, after the ceremony, and happened very quickly this year. So the monks um, staying here during this rain's retreat have had uh, a lot of, uh, there's been a great sense of harmony, of concord. And everyone has set their hearts on living here and uh, practicing here. So there haven't been any problems in managing uh, this monastery and the monks, it's been very easy because everyone's been helping out. Everyone's been determined to come to the morning chanting, the evening chanting. So there's a lightness uh, upon those who have to manage this place. And with so many monks staying together, if everyone is sincere and living here, then there are very few problems. <laughs> but if just one of those monks uh, brings up issues, then that can create uh, great problems in the whole community. <laughs> so for the monks being intent on this practice, um, it's providing encouragement uh, for everyone, for the lay people, to practice the Dhamma as well. So this harmony of the community um, is something that's very important because it brings up an energy within the Sangha. And it makes our practice, our cultivation of our mind, very convenient with living here. So the sacrifice that we will have, coming together, meditating, chanting, and it makes the lay people who come here uh, very happy as well. There's joy. Uh, that they have when they listen to all of us chanting together because of that great energy that happens when we all come and chant the Paritas. And the minds of those who are listening is full of joy. And many monks have come from far away. It's not easy for this to happen. 
for people to come from all over the country. And what it arises from is the highest goodness of the self-awakened Buddha, from his great kindness, from his great compassion that he had uh, for his disciples. So we've all been uh, very diligent in practicing and in preparing for the Katina ceremony. And after this, we may have many duties that we need to carry out. Some may go off traveling. And if you do, then I ask for you to still remain restrained and to have your mindfulness with you to practice as you're traveling as well. And it's very important to do that. So when we receive the Katina cloth, we also receive all of the four requisites along with it. So there's medicine for the sick, there's the dwellings as well, the food and the robes, but robes we probably have enough of already. When all of these come together, it's what we call the sasana watu, the material um, element of the Buddhist religion. But then we have the sasana pugala, uh, the members of the religion. And this is really difficult to find. Monks who are willing to ordain for a long time, for many reigns. It's very hard because the world is developed. And with the world being developed, um, it's difficult for people to come and ordain for a long time. Back uh, in Nambapong, in uh, 1976 um, to find 40 monks or 50 monks staying there. It wasn't too difficult because the world wasn't so developed at that time. And the monastery was very basic. There was no electricity, no running water. In order to get water, we needed to draw it up from a well and then carry it in cans all over the monastery. And this would be a daily duty that the monks would carry out from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. It took a lot of effort uh, for us to do this. And after doing it, there wasn't any evening drinks either. It would just be on the Lunar Observance Day that we would have something to drink. Just one cup of coffee would be enough for us to all be happy. Things like prunes or chocolate, they just didn't exist uh, back in those days. Or um, there was very occasionally, there would be these small medicinal fruits. But we were still able to survive. We could still live there. If there was a special day, such as a Katina ceremony, uh, we'd need to carry a huge amount of water around the monastery to prepare for that. And it would take many, many days for us to set up. We were all intent. We all had a good sense of togetherness. The monks, many of the monks who uh, went to ordain or Nomapon, uh, before that they were rice farmers, so they could put up with the difficulty. But then when Ubon city, or the province, became more developed, and the people there uh, stopped depending upon rice farming so much and would uh, get work in shops instead, then it would be more difficult uh, to find people who could ordain there. 
Many of the youth would go off and study in university, get a higher education. So there was more development in worldly ways. So just to find someone who can ordain these days for three years or five years is very hard. Even just one brains retreat is really very difficult to find. But before, um, there would be uh, many novices staying at Wadnobapong between the ages of 8 and 12. There would often be 20 or more. But now there aren't any novices there because the youth will have to go to school to get an education. So therefore, when the world develops, um, then those who come to ordain and practice are less and less. So the members of the religion, the Sasana Pugala, uh, becomes diminished. But here at Wat Mapchan, uh, there's a lot of new monks who have come to ordain for this reigns. Their fathers and mothers uh, want them to become monks for a time so that they can improve their hearts, so that they can change and become better people. But even though they have developed while they're here, when they disrobe and go back into the world, uh, they need to carry on that process of development, of becoming better. Because before it's, it was like they were raw, raw people, but now they are well cooked. So when we come together, um, then we're able to practice uh, together well. But looking after uh, this practice is difficult. Caring for it, making sure that it lasts a long time, is something that's very hard to do. Just like building an Ubosita hall, it doesn't take many years to do that. But the process of looking after it has to carry on until it falls apart. Mpucha, he taught this, but when I listened to him, I was still young, and I thought that well, surely building it's far more difficult. But now I see the truth in what he said. That caring for the goodness that we've created is more difficult than giving rise to that goodness. And as difficult or as hard as bringing up samadhi is, maintaining that samadhi is even more difficult. But in the beginning we do have to put our effort into bringing it about, into making our minds come into samadhi. But if we try and do it, then we can succeed. So you should all be intent to try, to succeed in this. And I give my, or express my uh, joy in the sacrifice of all of the monks who have sacrificed their energy, with their energy of body and of mind, uh, to the highest degree, to come together, to have harmony, to practice, um, and to develop faith. And really, this faith that we have, it comes from the practice. From uh, restraining ourselves, and from chanting and meditating. And this brings up energy within us. So when we practice, if the mind's energy is good, if the level of our mindfulness of our samadhi is full, 
um, then that turns into a power that we can use to knowing and seeing the Dhamma. But in order for this clear insight into truth to arise, it depends upon sila, samadhi and panya coming together. In order to see the body as just being a convention, as being empty, we need this path. And in following that, then the mind becomes empty as well. We'll know for ourselves the fruits of this practice, and we won't have any doubts. There'll be great joy uh, infusing our hearts. So, uh, when we have this energy of heart, then we'll just want to do walking meditation and sitting meditation, constantly reflecting and contemplating into the Dharma until insight does arise. And we'll be able to destroy, at that point, the wrong views that we have. It just takes one moment to pierce through delusion and see into the Dhamma. Um, but it can take a long time to build up to that point. Just like cooking rice doesn't take so long. But in order to get that rice, it's a very difficult process. Because before it was cooked rice, it was raw rice. And before that, it was unhusked rice. And then that had to be uh, threshed uh, in order for it to become suitable uh, for us to cook. But before that, it was in the paddy fields. And people had to go and harvest it. Before that, they had to put in the fertilizers and uh, make sure that insects and other animals didn't eat uh, those crops. Before that, they had to plow the fields. So it's not easy. They also have to take care of the cows and the buffaloes to do the work as well. And there's an artwork uh, that needs to be applied in uh, farming. So it's difficult uh, for us to just get that raw rice. But in the end, when we do get that and we cook it, then we'll have success because we'll be able to eat that rice. So for us, we maintain our sila, we have sacrifice, we develop mindfulness, and uh, the mind then comes together. And this is when we start feeling like our rice is starting to cook. We know that um, the practice is cooking in our minds. And we know that soon we'll be able to eat that rice, we'll be able to offer it to the monks on arms round. That soon we'll be able to taste uh, the flavor of Nibbana. And we'll know just what it's like. But we have to carry on doing this practice continuously, every day. And when we do that, then eventually we will see into the Dhamma. As we contemplate the body, our understanding will become more refined. And when our samadhi is sustained, then the practice just happens by itself. And it turns into something that's very easy to do, even though before it was difficult. It was difficult because our minds didn't have understanding, so they were all confused and stirred up. But the teachers, uh, they try their best to instruct us, to tell us which way to take, what is the right way, what's the fast way. 
We may, in our practice, have nimittas or visions arising, or we may not. And if these visions help us to um, be freed from sensual pleasure, then that's good, if they're asubha, nimittas. But if we're getting visions of devas or of brahmas, well, that depends on uh, accumulations, what we've done in the past. But really, the goal of the practice is for us to abandon greed, hatred, and delusion, and that's what we're after. So we shouldn't go and separate practitioners out and say that those who get nimittas, these visions, are better than those who don't get them. That's not how it works. That's not how the practice is. Because in seeing these visions, that doesn't help us to abandon greed, hatred, and delusion. Rather, in the practice, we need to come and look at ourselves, look at our own minds. So we follow uh, the teachings, the path of the awakened teachers, and this is the correct path to, to take. And if we follow that, then we won't get lost. So you may all have your heart set on following this way of practice.